Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to see you here this evening. It's good to be in the Lord's house together to close out this Lord's Day. Let's stand as God himself calls us to worship him. These words here from Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
Thanks be to God. Let's respond to his call now with number 181. We come, O Christ, to you. to the hills from where does our help come our help comes from you our lord the maker of heaven and earth you will not let our foot be moved you who keep us will not slumber or sleep 
You are our keeper. You are the one who guards us, the one who is our shade day and night. You promise to be our keeper. And so, Lord, we draw near to you as the one who has promised this, that you might make good on it. Once again, uh, we, we bring ourselves and our neediness to you and ask that you'd fill us. We, we, we bring our praises to you and ask that you'd hear us. And Father, we pray that you would bless us, bless us richly in your gospel, by your word. Build us up in Christ our Savior. We need him, Lord. And so we pray that you would once again bind us to him. Uh, we, we pray that you would hear our praises, hear our thanks, receive them for his precious sake. Amen. Next hymn is 378. Hear, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. Enough, my Lord, enough indeed. 
Psalm 24 is our Psalter reading tonight. Let's give our attention to God's Word. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Do you have any particular prayer requests or praises that you'd like to share as we come to a time of prayer tonight? We're praying for John, of course. Donna, yes. All right, well, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Oh Lord, you are, as we've just read, the Lord of hosts and the King of glory. You are the one who dwells in unapproachable light in the highest heavens, surrounded by innumerable hosts of angels who speed quickly to do your will. You are surrounded by worship and praise incessantly. You are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. Lord, we see it around us. We see it in the creation around us. We see it in, um, in, in your power on display. We see it in your providence, the mysteries, the intricacies of your providence. And Father, we see it most of all in Christ, our Savior, 
the brilliance of Your glory, the splendor of Your majesty in the One full of grace and truth, our Lord Jesus. We thank You for, uh, for the hope that we have tonight as we gather together in prayer. That You are the God who hears us for Christ's sake. Father, we thank You that You have, um, have uh, continued Your grace towards us uh, even in this day, we thank You for the riches of the Sabbath and the way You richly bless that to Your people. We thank You for the means of grace. We thank You for the Scriptures, that we have this open book where You declare to us who You are and what duty You ask of us, where we read the, uh, the, the, of, of the work of our Redeemer and we see Him so clearly. Father, we thank You for... Uh, we thank You for prayer, for this open access to Your throne of grace. That we have this high privilege of drawing near to You, making our requests known to You. That You welcome us into Your presence, even command us to come. And that You receive us as a Father receives the children in whom He delights. Father, we pray for John Gardner once again tonight. We pray that You would... Give him, uh, give him um, a rest and peace. We pray for his family. We pray that you would sustain them and comfort them and encourage them in these days. May they wait on you and find their strength renewed like the eagles. Father, we do pray also for Bruce and Pam Jenkins. Thank you for uh, their service as missionaries for your sake. Father, we pray that you would bless them and provide for them, that you would provide a home for them, uh, a place where they can, uh, where they can have a home uh, that it would be affordable for them and be in a good location, and that you would make this um, uh, make this come to pass uh, in a timely fashion. We pray also for Steve and Teddy Burke as they continue to uh, be in need of a new place to live. We pray that you would provide for them as well, um, that you would meet their needs. Father, we pray for the ongoing ministries of our church. We think of our youth group. We pray that you would be at work among those teaching that youth group. We pray for the young people who attend. We pray, Lord, that you would bless their study of your word together, that, um, that the youth would grow in their understanding of Scripture, and their understanding of you, and their understanding of uh, the importance of faith in you for all of life. Uh, that they would uh, that they would come to own more and more this faith in which they've been brought up. Lord, we pray that you would have your hand on each of them and, and bless this ministry. Father, we pray also for um, the, uh, the Sunday school ministry of our church. We pray that you'd be with the teachers and to be with the children as they learn. Father, uh, we pray that you'd make these lessons in your word effective to them and uh, effective unto salvation for them. Uh, that, our, that our children would belong to You and would not walk away from You. Father, we pray, for, uh, we pray for the marriages of our church. We pray that You would be with husbands and wives and strengthen, that, uh, strengthen each marriage. We pray that You would help husbands and wives to live together uh, with patience and understanding and sympathy. Uh, we pray that You would help husbands to be faithful and godly servant leaders in the home. We pray that wives would be faithful in their support and help of their husbands and the various callings You've given them. Father, we, we pray for the parents in our congregation. Uh, we pray that You would uh, bless them. We pray that You'd give them grace and wisdom to raise their children well in the fear and admonition of You and the instruction of Your Holy Word. Father, we pray that You would uh, 
be, be with uh, the Dutleys. Thank you for Levi. Thank you that he's doing well. We pray you continue your grace to him. Continue to help him to grow strong. We pray that he would be able to be weaned off the oxygen soon. Father, we lift up to you our, our sister Tina. We thank you for uh, the time we could see her over this uh, this season. We pray that you'd be with her as she transitions back to Florida. We pray that you'd give her uh, your, your, your hand on her as she uh, settles in back down there. Father, we know that you care for us. We know you care for the intimate details of our lives. And so we commit ourselves to you. We commit our loved ones to you, knowing your care. And we would, Lord, we, help us not to be anxious about anything, uh, but to give it over to you, to submit ourselves to you, to trust your will. You are good, O oh Lord. You are wise. You are just. You are faithful to every promise you've made. So strengthen us, Lord, in faith in these things. All this we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing again together as we prepare to hear God's word. Number 671, um, forever trusting in the Lord from Psalm 37. Let's stand and sing. Trusting in the Lord, take heed to do His will, so shall you dwell within the land, and He your needs shall fill. Delight now in the Lord, and He will grant your heart's request. To Him commit your way in faith, and thus you shall be blessed. And He shall make your righteousness shine brightly as the light, and as the burning noonday sun, your judgment shall be bright. Rest in the Lord with quiet trust, wait patiently for Him. Though wickedness triumphant seem, let not your faith grow dim. Amen. Please be seated. All right, Genesis chapter 12. Picking up at Genesis 12, verse 10, reading through chapter 13, verse 18. This is God's word, loved ones, so let's give it our full attention. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. 
So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. And our New Testament reading is Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11, 1 through 16. Hebrews 11, 1 through 16. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. 
By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's now pray and ask him to bless it to us once again. Father, we pray that you would speak your word, that you would take it and write it on our hearts. Let us not be those who just hear your word and walk away unchanged, but let us be those who are hearers and doers. Lord, help us to give our full attention to your holy word. It is the most precious thing this world affords. It is sweeter than honey. It is worth more than gold. So let us give ourselves to the study of it now. By your grace, grant your spirit, we pray, to us and open our understanding and give us faith in the things unseen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we were uh, in Genesis chapter 12, first nine verses, and it's, it's, the, it's, it's a highlight. Um, it's, uh, everything's looking good in those first nine verses of Genesis chapter 12. 12. Everything is, everything is, uh, everything is rosy. Um, God is pouring out his blessings. And he's not just pouring out common grace blessings, sunshine, rain, water the earth, but he is, he's doing something unique with Abraham, calling him, uh, calling a sinner to himself, saving a sinner 
from his uh, from, from his wrath. The Bible story is, uh, is is leaping ahead in Genesis chapter twelve one through nine. That seed, the gospel seed, planted way back in Genesis three fifteen, and Genesis twelve one through nine is is starting to sprout and, and, and put out put out uh, uh, put out new life in, in these verses here as God saves Abram, brings him into the covenant of grace, gives him immense blessings. Um, and we see God in the covenant of grace uh, undoing so much of what happened in the fall with Abram. Right? He's promising to bring him into a holy land and bring him into holy fellowship with himself, give himself to him as his God, and multiply image bearers worshiping the Lord, uh, a holy nation, through him. And, and so we see, we see in those opening verses of chapter 12 wonderful blessings, wonderful grace of God. We also see... Abram's faith, and it's, and it's exemplary in those, in those first nine verses. The Lord calls. He says, go to this land. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you when, we, when we get there where it is. Um, which of us would answer that call? But Abram does. Uh, he, he, the Lord calls him out of idolatry. Uproot, go to a new place, leave behind your culture, leave behind the gods you've worshipped and your fathers have worshipped, leave it all behind, and go to this new place and trust in me. Uh, and Abram goes. It's a, it's a remarkable faith and trust in the Lord. And he comes to the promised land, travels through the promised land, builds altars in the promised land, praising the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord. So, so far, everything is everything's running along smoothly in Abram's story. It's a lovely story. There's not a cloud in the metaphorical sky. Everything looks great. And of course, then, we know something is going to change, right? That never lasts. Um, not this side of heaven. Uh, Abram is not in the final promised land yet. He's still a pilgrim, even though he's in the, the earthly promised land. And like a pilgrim, like, like we see illustrated so well in Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress, this is not an easy road, this pilgrimage of faith. Times of blessing come, and when they come, you can be sure times of testing are going to follow. And that is exactly what we see. We see this pattern over and over in Abram's life. Um, it's kind of the first iteration of it, that great blessing is followed by a time of, of testing. So this is, our, this is our first heading tonight, faith tested. Faith tested. The first part of the test is the famine. Famine comes in the promised land. This is supposed to be a good land, a rich land, the promised land, Right? Uh, but there's famine here. This isn't an accident. This is not ill-timed so that Abram shows up, starts to enjoy the promised land, and suddenly there's a famine and and this was out of God's control. No, it was under God's control. Didn't take the Lord by surprise. He's doing it to test Abram, isn't he? Um, Say, "Will will you trust me? Not just when the promises seem wonderful and the sun is shining and all seems well, but will you trust me when, when it's dark and hard and the promises seem far away and distant? Will you trust me when, when the food's running out and you're hungry? Um, when the things that have been promised seem, seem far, far away. And there's nothing in the text. If you look at the text, there's nothing there that outright says Abram uh, failed by deciding to leave the promised land and go to Egypt. And I think it's clear that he intended to come back because he was going to sojourn in Egypt. It was a, just a temporary thing. Um, and you could, you could probably argue that in some sense it was, right for, it was the right choice to make. 
he's looking around. He has a family to take care of. Um, uh, there's a famine, so he's got to find a way to provide for his family. Look, things look good in Egypt, so he decides to take his family down to Egypt. And that's, all, that's all fine and right. But you notice what's not there. He doesn't see the Lord. He doesn't seek God's wisdom. Um, he, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, seek out the Lord and, and ask him what he would have him do. The Lord himself does not uh, appear to command Abram to do this. Now, there are other instances in Genesis where the Lord will send someone to Egypt, but not here. Um, and it, it seems like as we look at Abram here, that he is, he is operating just on the, the level of, um, of, of this world's wisdom. This is a moment where he's no longer walking by faith. Um, he's looking around, he sees the famine, and he acts, and that's fine. But he's doing it without reference to God. Uh, he's doing it without uh, seeking the Lord. I think we see a failure of faith here. It's not wrong for him to try to make the best choice in a hard situation, but it's wrong for him to respond to a trial without first seeking the Lord and the Lord's wisdom. He's acting in self-sufficiency instead of independence on the Lord. Faith is dependence on the Lord. Self-sufficiency is the opposite of faith. So they, 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 that's, that's the first test, this famine. Um, and they don't seem to pass it. Uh, Abram, Abram operates by human wisdom and self-sufficiency and uh, without seeking the Lord, heads to Egypt. And then things just get worse. They go to Egypt, and as they get close... Abram starts to realize this might not be the simple solution we thought it would be, just to go down here and spend some time in Egypt. Because Sarai, his wife, is gorgeous. She's beautiful. And, um, and later on, when he, this, this same, a very similar situation happens again, the, the scriptures tell us that actually when Abram and Sarai were married, they made this agreement that because she was so beautiful, when they were in a foreign place, uh, she would say, yeah, I'm his sister, so that his life would be spared. So they, they come to Egypt, and, um, uh, and uh, um, Abram, Abram is scared for his life, that they're going to see Sarai, and they're going to kill him to get her. And so this is, the, this is the second part of God's test. Um, are you going to tell the truth? Are you going to fear man more than you fear the Lord? Now, the Lord has made promises to Abram. He's going to make his name great. He's going to make him a great nation. He's going to give him the promised land. Going to have um, numerous descendants come from him. God has promised him these things. But Abram is afraid for his life. Has God fulfilled these promises? No, God hasn't fulfilled them yet. So Abram is, has forgotten the promises of God. He thinks that, that his life can be in danger. But it, it can't. God hasn't fulfilled these promises to him yet. And again, we see him operating by self-sufficiency, not, not dependence on the Lord. He's walking by sight, not by faith. He's just scared that he's going to get hurt or die. He wants to save his own skin here. So he comes up with a plan. Sarah, say you're my sister. That way they won't kill me. Um, where's his concern for his wife? Where's his love for her and his care for her? He's putting himself first, not loving her as Christ loved the church. They get to Egypt, and um, sure enough, 
Everyone sees Sarai and sees how beautiful she is. She's taken into Pharaoh's house, brought into his harem. How's Abram doing? <laughs> how would you grade him with this test? Um, he doubted the Lord's ability to provide in the famine. He doubted the Lord's ability to protect him in Egypt. He's doubted the certainty of God's promises. Um, he, he's lying to save his own skin. He's being a coward. He's putting himself ahead of his wife. Um, he's not a passing grade. He is not, he is not doing well. He's operating like he's never heard of the Lord and never heard of the promises that God's made him. Uh, he's, he's failed. And, and think about the stakes are higher than just one man's, uh, one, one man's story and his faith and failure. The stakes are bigger than that here. Um, Think about the predicament Abram has got himself into now because of his failures and his sins and his unbelief here. Um, how are they going to get out of this situation? How, how, how is, if Pharaoh wants Sarai, how are they going to get out of this situation? What if Pharaoh decides to keep Sarai? Refuses to let her go. Makes her his wife. What's going to happen to the covenant promises if, the, if Abram doesn't have a wife? God said he's going to give you great descendants, numerous descendants. This can't happen without Abram and Sarai having a child and without Sarai remaining pure as Abram's wife and no one else's. So God's covenant promises are on the line. Abram has thrown it all into jeopardy by his sin and by his unbelief. He has dug himself into a hole he can't get out of and a hole he doesn't deserve to get out of. Um, He's not doing well. But how does the Lord respond? How, what does the Lord do? He, he, shows, he shows grace. Um, first off, we see that even though Abram is acting out of self-interest, fear, and self-preservation, um, the Lord uses the situation nonetheless to bless him. He, he gives him much wealth, right? Through the situation, Abram gets a dowry from Pharaoh. He gets sheep, oxen, donkeys, servants, and camels. Right? This great wealth that he's going to end up taking back to Canaan with him. So the Lord is, even though that this is a result of Abram's sin, God is still using it to bless him. Um, He's so committed to Abram and to blessing him, despite his sin, showing him this this undeserved grace. And then the Lord intervenes to get Abram out of the situation. He sends a plague on Pharaoh. Um, You can see the foreshadowing there, right? There's another time in Israel's history when plagues will be sent on Egypt to rescue the promised people uh, from, from Pharaoh. And, and, and the Lord reveals somehow to Pharaoh that Sarai is Abram's wife. Pharaoh gives Sarai back to Abram untouched and unharmed. They leave Egypt. So God, by his grace, steps in, intervenes, makes sure the covenant is kept, makes sure that uh, Abram and Sarai are able to get out and, and shows, shows his grace once again. We shouldn't miss the remarkable character of the grace of God shown to Abram and Sarah here. Abram does not deserve to get out of this situation. But the Lord shows him grace. He failed in his faith. But the Lord is faithful to his promise. And the Lord, the Lord began this covenant out of sheer grace. So this is no surprise to him. He called a sinner to himself in Abram. And so he, there's no sin that, that Abram can do that will, that will uh, thwart the Lord's purposes. His covenant does not depend on Abram's faithfulness, but on his own faithfulness. 
Um, it's easy to look at Abram uh, from the distance and say he should have done better, but I, I'm sure we can see ourselves uh, see ourselves here in in his failures. We fail in so many of these same ways. Um, we look at circumstances. Uh, we, we look at hardship. We look at danger. We get bound out of shape. We get anxious. We forget God's promises. We, we live like we've never heard a word of Scripture, like we don't know who God is, like we don't know what He's promised to do for us. We forget that Jesus said, not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. We forget that He has said, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. We forget that he, that, he, that he said those things. We forget also that He sealed those things with the blood of Christ. These aren't just words. These are promises sworn in the very blood of Jesus Christ. And He has given us all this. And He's given us the Spirit of Christ and, he, and, and this down payment of our, of our future inheritance. So don't try to work pragmatically in self-dependence through the circumstances without reference to God. Use, yes, the wisdom He gives you, but do it with your eyes fixed in faith on the Lord. Uh, Don't tell half-truths to save your own skin. Uh, Don't fear what man can do. Leave it to the Lord. Trust Him. When the testing comes, it will come. Testing will come in His plan, but trust Him through it. He has grace to see you through it. So that's the first thing we see. Faith tested. Now, moving into, chapter, moving into chapter 13, we see Abram has learned his lesson in many ways. He, he, he has come through his failure and his sin. He's come through God's gracious restoration, and he's, and he's learned a lesson. As chapter 13 begins, we see his faith again. And so our second heading is faith restored. They get back to Canaan, back from Egypt, back in Canaan. He goes back to Bethel, where he had built an altar before. Um, This is important to note. It's not just a geographical note for us that he's moved back and built an altar. Excuse me, back to the same altar he built before. This is a uh, this is a religious movement. He's getting close to the Lord again. He's he's moving back into fellowship with the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord, as verse four of chapter thirteen tells us. But then there's a test. Another test comes. This time, uh, it's, a test of, uh, it's a test of faith uh, regarding this promised land. Abraham uh, and his nephew Lot are in the same region. They're both wealthy now, well, much wealthier than they were. Abram got that big dowry from Pharaoh. Uh, the Lord has been blessing them richly. And so there's not enough room for both of their flocks and herds anymore. And their herdsmen are starting to go at it. Uh, Abram doesn't want that, so he says, well, let's, let's separate. There's plenty of room for both of us, so uh, let, let's separate. But this time, Abram meets this test with faith. He gives Lot the first choice. Abram isn't grasping at the promise of the land. God has promised him all this land, but Abram doesn't grasp at it. He doesn't try to force God's hand. He's waiting on God's timing. He's gracious and, and, and generous towards his nephew. He says, take your choice. You choose whatever you prefer, and I'll take, I'll take whatever you don't choose. Now, Lot is the foil, right? Lot's the opposite here. Um, you, Lot is operating with the eyes of, of, of this world's wisdom, not, not the eyes of faith. He looks out. He clearly sees from a human perspective what the prime real estate is. 
right? This beautiful Jordan Valley, well-watered, fertile land, like the Garden of the Lord. Looks like Eden, or looks like Egypt, watered by the Nile. And uh, God says, great. Thank you, Abram. I will take the obvious good choice. Um, Abram, uh, Abram gives it to him. But what happens? Lot is, Lot is operating, as we said, by the eyes of sight, not faith. And, and as he grasps at this for himself and acts out of selfishness, notice what the text says in verse 11. It says that he moves east. That's, a, that's an ominous note in, in Genesis. Um, you'll notice that throughout Genesis, moving east is often associated with moving away from the Lord farther from him, away from his, away from his presence. Um, Cain moves east after he kills Abel. The builders of the Tower of Babel move east just before they erect their tower to human pride and achievement and glory in rebellion against the Lord. So Lot moving east is a warning sign. Um, he's not acting out of faith. He's acting out of self-interest and human wisdom. Um, he's not thinking of the Lord's promises. He's not thinking of the Lord's inheritance promised to Abram and his family. He's not thinking of what's best for Abram. He's just thinking of his bank account and what, what's best for Lot. It might seem like a small thing. Well, of course, most of us would make the same choice. He, he does this. He makes this choice. But it is going to cost him. Think about what this small movement just a little bit east acting just out of self-interest here, what this is going to cost him. Um, the very next chapter, he's going to be captured by kings. Abram's going to have to come rescue him. He won't learn his lesson. He's going to stay. He's going to actually move closer and closer to Sodom and eventually get sucked in by the uh, opportunities in Sodom. He's going to take his family into Sodom, this wicked city. And, uh, he, and he is going to maintain his faith, but just barely. What's going to happen to his wife? What's going to happen to his kids, his daughters? Just because he acted right now out of self-interest, he, he, it all starts here as he looks out over the promised land, and he doesn't look with the eyes of faith. He doesn't wait on the Lord. He grasps at opportunity out of self-interest instead of trusting in the Lord. And this choice is going to have huge and uh, tragic consequences for his family. His wife will end up judged and condemned, and, uh, uh, and his daughters uh, and him in a twisted and uh, difficult situation, far from the promises of God. But Abram, Abram contents himself with Canaan contents himself for the Lord's plan, contents himself for the Lord's promises. He knows that uh, the Lord is gracious. He knows the Lord will bless him. He, he's just seen in Egypt how even when he sinned, the Lord blessed him. So he's got confidence in the Lord. He's not going to doubt the Lord. He's tasted the grace of God. And that grace of God he tasted is making him gracious towards Lot, generous towards, towards Lot. He understands this is how the covenant of grace works. This is what's at the heart of it. Grace of God received, and then grace given to others in gratitude for that. We need to learn the lesson that we see here from Abram and Lot and their example, don't we? Um, 
If you're walking by sight instead of by faith, like Lot is here, then you'll be grasping, acting out of self-interest, anxious about if you don't take what, uh, what you can get, you'll never get it, and you won't think about the long-term consequences of your choices. You'll, you'll act out of what your selfish heart wants instead of faith in the Lord. Calvin uh, comments on this. He says, Let us then learn by this example that our eyes are not to be trusted, but that we must rather be on our guard, lest we be ensnared by them and be encircled unawares with many evils. Just as Lot, when he fancied that he was dwelling in paradise, was nearly plunged into the depths of hell. Those words there, Calvin says, Our eyes are not to be trusted. Think of that, right? That subtle shift that Lot is making towards worldliness and selfishness. If you take, um, right, if you take two lines that are just slightly angled apart from each other and you trace them out, they're going to get farther and farther and farther apart. Right? Just one small step towards worldliness and acting out of selfishness and the eyes of sight instead of the eyes of faith can have dire consequences for yourself, for your family, for generations to come. So don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your heart's desires. Walk by faith like Abram. When you walk by faith like Abram, you won't be striving and grasping after the things of earth. You'll be free to be generous. You'll be free to be gracious, free to put others first. One commentator writes here, he says, there is room in God's plan for every man to follow his most generous impulses. Free you for that. It'll, you, you, it'll, it'll free you walking by faith, eyes on the promises of God. You can, you can wait. You can be content, um, trusting that His grace will come, His promises will, will come true. You, I'm not saying that faith makes you laid back or nonchalant, but, but you won't be manipulative or, or, or striving or, or trying to get ahead of. Uh, by, by your own work and by your own power. You'll, you'll, you'll do what the Lord has called you to do. Faithfulness, obedience, and trust the outcome to Him. There is no greater example of this, of course, than Christ. Um, as I was thinking over Abram's example here, it does really point us so clearly to our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus was tempted. Um, there, there are some parallels here. I don't think this account is... Is foreshadowing explicitly Christ's temptation, but there are parallels here. Um, as you see Christ there, Satan takes him up on a mountain and gives him a view of all the kingdoms of the earth. All this could be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Right? If Jesus looks with the eyes of this world instead of the eyes of faith, he sees a great reward without suffering. Right? Uh, Satan is is saying to him, you don't have to wait on God's timing. Uh, You don't have to go God's way. You don't have to do it the hard way, the narrow road, the hard road of suffering and obedience and humility where so much trust is is, is required of you. Uh, Jesus, just bow down and worship and you will get the glorious inheritance. But our Lord Jesus, like Abram, doesn't grasp he doesn't, he doesn't seize on to and try to manipulate this. He, 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 he has God's promise, and he's going to wait on God's timing, on God's way. He, he knows that it's the meek who will inherit the earth. Um, so he chooses suffering, chooses the Calvary road, chooses humiliation, obedience, 
patience uh, unto death, and he walks by faith, not by sight, all the way through. He, he sees through Satan's lies that only God is worthy of worship and obedience and no one else. Praise God, he's our Savior for us when we fail to walk by faith and not by sight. And let's follow his example in this. So, Abram's faith is restored. Abram's faith is restored. He's tested, and he gets an A this time. Moving on then, our final heading, faith rewarded. Abram's faith was not in vain. Once again, the Lord comes to him in grace and blessing. The Lord speaks to him in verses 14 to 15. He says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. You can hear God's delight in Abram. Abram, you've done well. By my grace, you, you trusted me. You had your faith in me. You, you passed the test. You were generous. Uh, and, and so now the Lord is reminding him of his promises. The Lord is, 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 is giving him an even more expansive form of the promise than he had before in Genesis chapter 12. Promises him the land. Promises him all that he can see. And then he goes on in, in verse 16 and promises him descendants. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. The Lord is confirming the promises he's made. He's encouraging Abram, reminding him of, of what he said before, expanding on it, pulling back the curtain on them, showing, showing how they're even more gracious and full and rich than Abram first imagined. He's rewarding Abram. A few lessons to draw out for us here as we think about how the Lord rewards faith in himself. Um, first is that the Lord's reward is always gracious. As, as we look at the account, we might think, well, Abram gets it right, and therefore the Lord blesses him. That Abram is earning this reward, but the reward is out of proportion. The Lord is, is giving him so much more than he deserves. Uh, uh, Abram, Abram did his duty. He did what was right before the Lord. Um, but he didn't deserve to be lavishly blessed in response by it. The Lord is, the Lord is pouring out blessing on him. Um, the Lord is rewarding him out of his grace, not out of what he really deserves. Uh, the Lord always rewards us out of his grace, so far much more and beyond anything we could possibly earn. The second thing here, The Lord's reward is always sure. The Lord's reward is guaranteed. Um, the Lord never fails to reward his people. He delights to reward his people. He delights to bless his people. And the Lord notices, he sees our faith, he sees our obedience. Um, uh, sometimes it can feel like the, the faithfulness, the, 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 the patience in trial, persevering through a test, that, that, it, that it's, um, no one sees no one notices. But the Lord sees. His eye is always on His children. And when you are tempted to walk by sight instead of by faith, and when you are tempted to act out of fear of man instead of the promises of God, remember He's watching. And He cares. And He'll reward those who diligently seek Him, as Hebrews reminds us. And then the third thing about reward here, we saw it's, uh, it's gracious, it's sure. Finally, the Lord's reward 
is something that comes uh, with a foretaste now, but the fullness is ahead. God rewards Abram with these rich promises, these wonderful promises. He says, it's all yours. All the land will be yours and your descendants forever. I'm going I'm to multiply your descendants more than the dust of the earth. Abram responds uh, in faith. He travels through the land, building altars, worshiping the Lord. He's enjoying a foretaste of the promise. He's enjoying something of the promise that God has given him. But he's still walking by faith. He still hasn't received the, the, the fullness of the promise. It's still just a foretaste. Um, and that is, again, we've been thinking about Abram's life through this lens primarily. That Abram is living in the gap between promise and reality. Promise made, still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. He's getting tastes, he's getting glimpses, but so much is ahead of him. And, and that's, that's where the Christian is. That's where you and I are too. Now, we've received so much more. We've tasted so much more. Um, we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places, as Colossians 3 tells us. We, we've already uh, been raised up with Christ. Um, we, we have the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of that inheritance to come. We've seen the work of Christ, but we're still in the gap. We're still going through the test. Still going through the trial. Still being called to patiently live by faith. Not having yet received fully the things unseen that are ahead of us. So, like Abram, look up to who God is. Enjoy the taste of the promise He's given already. And keep your eyes, keep your eyes on Him. There's a reward ahead. A rich, worthwhile reward ahead. More precious than anything we could imagine. When we are brought into the heavenly promised land. Let's pray. Lord, help us, we pray, to walk by faith, not by sight. To, to put on the promises of your word like, like glasses through which we see our circumstances in the light of the truth of who you are and what you've promised to do for us. Lord, help us not to walk in unbelief, but to keep a steady gaze on you. And Lord, strengthen us. We need your grace. So yes, Lord, even as you test us in the week ahead, in the days ahead, remain with us. Give us your grace, Lord, to keep us faithful for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's respond in song number 598. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Let's stand and sing number 598.
good word. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thank you.